We're continuing a study in 2 Peter this evening. Came across two quotes that I thought were interesting this week, both from a 18th century British literary figure. I don't know him, but if there's any English majors here, you might have heard of him. Samuel Johnson. I'm going to give those quotes first one now and another one a little later, but he said this, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Now, an odd quote, but there is something about knowing that the end is coming that changes the way you think about things. And uh, that was the case for Peter. Peter understood that he was uh, going to leave this tent, as he puts it. And he had important things on his mind, uh, things that he wanted to share with uh, those that he had been teaching and helping over the years. Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, a larger section, but I want to begin by just looking at verse 13 and 14, which says this, Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter understood that his life was not going to be long. And he had important things that he wanted to share with uh, these that were reading his, his words, these that he was sending this message to. There were a couple things in our immediate passage that were concerned to him in these last days of his, of his life. First, he was concerned that they would remember the truth that they had become established in, as he puts it here. In fact, in verse 12, we didn't read. He recognized that there were things that they had come to believe, that they had come to accept, things in which they were grounded, in which they held to. He wanted to ensure that they remembered those truths and that they would be established in them. He says that at the beginning of our passage here tonight. And he repeats it again a little bit later in chapter 3 and verse 17. Therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. He wants them to be steadfast, to stand firm in their faith. And that's what's burdening his mind as he comes toward the end of his life. He says that he's going to ensure that they always have a reminder of these things after his decease. People have argued about just what that means when he wrote that in verse 15 of chapter 1. Some have suggested it refers to his writing of the epistle or perhaps to his writing of some other letter that was sent in which he helped to reinforce these things that they had been taught. Some even believe that perhaps 
This was achieved in his work with a man by the name of Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And many believe that Peter had a significant influence in the writing of the Gospel of Mark. We don't know that. We're not sure exactly what he was referring to here, but he was concerned that these that he's writing to would be firmly grounded in the faith. And then he also had this concern. He wanted them to be entirely convicted and convinced of the authority of the message. He wanted them to understand that the things that they had been taught and the things that he was telling them were solid and assured. And so he speaks about the fact that he saw the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the glory of the Lord himself with his own eyes. And he came to understand that the things that he was being told and the things that he was sharing with them were authentic. They were real. They were critical. They were important. And so he was burdened about this. He wanted them to be fully convinced of the authenticity of the message. And he wanted them to hold it fast. These things were on his mind. The last exchange that we see between the Lord and Peter before the Lord's ascension is recorded for us in John's Gospel, the end of John's Gospel. And the Lord instructed Peter with these words three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter was involved to the end of his life in doing that, fulfilling that instruction that the Lord had given him feeding his sheep, feeding the Lord's sheep. This is what Peter did right up until the end. This is his burden and this is his concern, to feed the sheep. In the first chapter, and particularly in verses 5 to 11, we have an expression of Peter's concern for the character and the conduct of those to whom he's writing. And then in the last part of the first chapter, in verses 12 to 21 that we're considering this evening, he has concerns for their understanding and for their knowledge in particular. They would know. The passage that we're looking at beginning in verse 12 starts with these words, for this reason, for this reason. So it makes it a little bit hard just to break in there. Obviously, that's referring back to something that's preceded. And if you don't mind, we're going to start our reading, actually, in verse 2. It's not a long chapter. <clears throat> Let's read from verse 2, and uh, we'll stop partway through the chapter. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want you to notice as we're reading this passage the word knowledge and the word know. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. 
to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of the things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. We're going to read the remaining verses in just a few minutes, but turn to chapter 3. And uh, <clears throat> we'll just read verse 17 and 18. You therefore, brethren, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your steadfastness, being led away by the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I want to think about three words primarily for most of our time together this evening. And the first word uh, is the word knowledge that I've asked you to watch for. I want to think about knowledge, which is one of the subjects that he's addressing here in this first chapter in particular. It's mentioned uh, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 12, again in verse 20. It's mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 20. It's mentioned in chapter 3 and verse 3, and then again in chapter 3 and verse 18, Knowledge is mentioned. His concern is that they would grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am sure that that encapsulates both the idea of knowing the things that Jesus taught, but far more importantly, the idea of knowing Jesus Christ, of knowing him. These are all both very important. He wanted them to grow in knowledge. Look back again at verse 8, if you would. Something I found quite interesting here in verse 8. He lists these great virtues that we are to strive for in verses 5, 6, 7. Things that ought to characterize the Christian life. Things that describe how believers ought to conduct themselves. And he is encouraging those who read his epistle to grow in these things, to, um, to uh, allow these things to develop in their lives, to nurture them. 
And he says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, that's not what he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you will be neither fruitful or barren in your Christian testimony and witness. That's not what he says either. Those might be things that I would expect to see there, that as we grow in these various graces that we will be more effective in our ministry, that we will be more uh, developed in our Christian character. What he actually says is that as you grow and develop in these things, you will not be unfruitful or barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That struck me, that we can come to know him more, that we can come to know his teaching more, that we can understand him in a better way and in a deeper way as we develop Christian character that's like him. As we develop in all of these virtues, we gain better knowledge, better understanding, better appreciation of all that he is and all that he does and all that he's about. And I think that's an important truth. Verse 8 talks about the abundant life that's going to be provided. And verse 11 talks about an entrance being supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the abundant life for a believer? Peter is not talking here about abundance materially. We understand that. He's talking about abundance spiritually. He's talking about an abundance in these virtues that he's just listed for us. This is the abundance that we can have. An abundance, for example, of knowledge. An abundance of knowing his presence. An abundance of guidance and joy. An abundance of peace. An abundance of comfort. These are the things that the Lord wants for us. An abundance of knowing him. The times that Peter wrote this and the people to whom he was writing there were many who were struggling and suffering. They certainly didn't know or experience, the vast majority of them, an abundance materially the way that we think of it so often. They were struggling. They were suffering. They were in hardship. They were being persecuted. But so many of them, and Peter included, knew the abundance of a deep knowledge of the Savior, an abundance of his grace to them, an abundance of all the spiritual blessings that he would give to them. And they knew his peace. So in verse 12, he wants to remind them of the things that they knew already. He wants to remind them of those things that they had taken hold of, that they were holding dear and retaining, the things that they knew, the things that they knew about the faith, the things that they knew about the Lord. He wants to remind them of these things, that they be established in the present truth. 
What is this present truth in verse 12? Well, I think it's the knowledge of him. It's the knowledge of him that we read about in verse 3. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. We have these things, all things that we require for life and godliness. That's the abundance. We have that through the knowledge of him. And they have been established in this knowledge. So that leads me to think how well do I know this present truth? How well do you know it? Do you know it as they knew it? Do you know it as Peter knew it? Do I know it as I should? There is value in knowing the word of God. And there is even greater value in knowing the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is important that we know. He is the truth and the way and the life. It's the body of Christian truth, the Christian faith that we hold. We need to know it. Let's not settle for perpetual infancy in the faith, which sadly is the lot of so many who aren't interested in particularly in studying the word of God. And go on having made a commitment of faith in Christ, but aren't really concerned to develop it in any way. And so they fall into this perpetual infancy, not developing their faith. Let's know the word of God and know the faith as we're reminded to here. The second word I want to think about a little bit is the word diligence. Diligence. We see it in verse 5. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and so on. Be diligent with regard to these virtues that we are to see developed in our life. Be diligent in your efforts to exhibit these virtues. Be diligent in it. Secondly, we find it in verse 10. Be diligent to make your call and election sure. The word here is, is uh, a word meaning to be careful and to be steady and to be consistent. Verse 15 in the section that we're looking at, we find it again. This time it's translated a little differently. Therefore, I will be careful, Peter says. It's the same word that's used there, this time translated in my translation, be careful. I'm not sure what you have and what you're reading. Be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. So he's going to take care, he's going to be diligent to ensure that they have these things in the future. We find this word again in chapter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. So here's some things that we are to be diligent about. We are to be diligent about our growth and our testimony. I'm going to say we can get that from verse 5. Diligent about our growth and about our testimony. We are to be diligent about our faithfulness. Can I say we could draw that from verse 10? Diligent in our faithfulness to the Lord. Faithfulness doesn't just happen. It takes an exercise of the mind. It takes care. It takes deliberate thought. We are to be diligent in our faith and our testimony. 
We are, we are to be diligent in our faithfulness. We are to be diligent in God's word. Verse 12 says that he's always going to remind us of these things and know that they are established in the present truth. We are to be diligent with regard to God's word, not negligent with regard to them. I take this from verse 12 where it says, for this reason I will not be negligent. I think that negligence in a lot of ways could be seen as an opposite of diligence. So here's another one that we could draw on. If he's not negligent, then he is diligent. And what is he diligent about? He is diligent about reminding them about these things about the faith. Diligent with regard to God's word. Diligent in remembering, verse 15. Diligent about peace and purity, chapter 3 and verse 14. Diligent to maintain our purity and to maintain peace in as much as in you is. Be peaceable. Here's some things that we are to be diligent about. Lastly, I want to think about, not lastly, second lastly, but the last word I want to think about is the word remember which comes up a number of times also in this passage. There are things that we are to remember. Have you ever reread a novel? You read it once, and then you went back and read it again? I'm not a big reader. Why do you, if you've done that, why? Why Why did you do that? Why did you read it again? Well, you want to be reminded about what you read, right? Have you reread the Bible? Is the Bible a book that you should just read once and then you've done it and put it on the shelf and move on to something else? Not at all. You need to read. And then you need to reread and reread again. Peter is reminding them of things that he has already told them. This reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. So three times in these four verses we find the word that he's reminding them. Sometimes we hear a message from the platform and we think, oh, here we go again. Same thing. We just heard this. Peter didn't seem to be concerned about that. He was happy to remind them about the things that he had already told them. Do you already know this? Yes, you already know this. Why are you telling me this again? I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you of things that you know, things that you've heard. We're going to go over it again. And that's important when it comes to the truth of God's words. It's important that we go over them and that we go over them again, that we remember them again. And again, hearing things again from the platform for the third time or the fifth time or the tenth time is not a bad thing. It's important that we know these things and that we hear them again. Here's the other quote that I got from Samuel Johnson. It was this, people are more often in need of reminding. Sorry, people more often need to be reminded than informed. People more often need to be reminded than informed. I think that's true. And certainly with regards, regard to God's word, that's true. 
we often just don't get it the first time through. This is very much the case with God's Word. It is such a deep book. There is so much in it. We read it, and then when we read it again, we see something else. And then when we read it again, we find something else. And the further you go into it, the more you can find in it. The deeper you can plummet steps and find the truths of God's Word. But often when we go over something, when we are presented with some spiritual truth, we just we don't get it. Suppose there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that God's word is so deep, as I mentioned. But the second is that our capacity is so limited. We are so finite. We are so fallible. We often just don't get it. The apostles were the same way. Maybe we can take some encouragement for this. Remember, in Luke 24, the Lord met with the, with the disciples after his resurrection. The angels came to the tomb, actually, and as the, the women were there, and the people came to the tomb to find the Lord, the angel said this, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when you were still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And it says, And they remembered his words. They had been told before. In fact, if you read the gospel accounts, they had been told several times. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Like us, they didn't get it. They had to be told again and again and then again and then again. And at some point it clicked. They remembered. It struck them. They got it. There are things that we are to remember. There's a lot of things that we are to remember. And Peter is concerned here that they would remember things. He is concerned that they would remember the words that were spoken by God. On the holy mountain, God's voice spoke. He refers to it here in verse 17. God spoke, and they heard the voice of God. Peter was concerned that they would remember the voice of God. He was concerned that they would remember the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things spoken by the Lord, chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 1 and verse 12. He's concerned that they remember what Christ has told them. He's concerned that they would remember the words of the prophets. Let me just take a minute to read from chapter 3, verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in which, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, reminder, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. He's concerned that they remember the words spoken by the prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He is concerned that they remember the things spoken by the apostles. We need to remember the word of God. We need to be reminded about the things in the word of God, the prophets in the Old Testament, the words of the Lord in the New Testament, the words of the apostles in the epistles. We need to read them and reread them and read them again and be reminded of what they said. Scripture encourages us to remember in many ways, in many places. There are many things that it says we are to remember. I'll just think about one of those with you. When the Lord, before he went to the cross, got together with his disciples, and he said this, remember me, remember me. Above all else, we are to remember him.
remember the Lord. Our time is gone, so we'll, we'll read these last verses from 16 to 21. And if you'll bear with me, I'll just make a couple short comments. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is by any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter confirms that the experiences that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he states that these were confirmations to him of the words of the prophets. He spoke of uh, on the on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord and and Elijah and Moses spoke of his decease. They spoke of his exodus. You might remember that we have that recorded for us in Luke thirty nine and thirty one. They spoke of his exodus. Peter here is thinking about his exodus. In verse fifteen, he says, "Moreover, I will be careful to ensure." that you always have a reminder of these things after my exodus. The word that's used there in translated decease in my translation is the word exodus, the same word that's used of the children of Israel leaving the land of Egypt. Same word that's used of the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration when we spoke with Moses and Elijah of his exodus from this life. And as Peter reflects on his exodus. He's reminded of his experience with the Lord on the mountain when the Lord spoke about his exodus and all that would be accomplished with Moses and Elijah. Moses knew something about exodus, didn't he? As he led the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, he knew something about exodus. Elijah also knew something about exodus as he was taken by the Lord in a whirlwind up into heaven and left this world. The Lord would accomplish great work on his exodus as well. And, this, and the reflections of what happened on the mountain, as Peter thinks about it, confirm for him and affirm for him the substance and weight and importance of the words of the prophets and of the words of the Lord and of the words of God. Verse 19 talks about the day dawning. I believe that's a reference. I think most commentators believe this to be a reference to the return of the Lord again. The Lord is coming again. Peter knows that. He's going to talk more about that in chapter 3. The Lord is going to come again. And the day will dawn. The Lord's presence associated is often associated with light in the scripture. And the day is going to dawn when the Lord will return 
and we will bask in the daylight of his glory, the glory that he had seen on that mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. This little section, verses 16 to 21, is really a prelude to what is to follow in chapter 2, where we are warned about false teachers. But here, Peter warns that true teaching from God's word is not given to individuals privately for their own use or for their own purpose or given individually. It's the voice of God speaking through holy men of God in time past. That's how God spoke. These messages from God were always in harmony with the balance of Scripture. They conveyed the developing revelation of truth that meshed with and confirmed all that preceded the prophecies that went before. It did not originate with man. It was not spoken or written at the will of man, he says. The Holy Spirit was moving, a moving force behind the men that spoke these messages from God. And we should keep that in mind as we move on into chapter 2 and think about these false prophets next week in the will of the Lord. Sorry, I've gone a little bit over. I'll stop there and hand it back over to Corey. Thanks.